Let me pray as we begin this afternoon. Father in heaven, we have such wonderful truths in your word that apply to all of life. And for that, we give you thanks. And I thank you for these brothers and sisters who would give up their time on a beautiful day to to want to grow in wisdom. Lord, help us to be seekers of wisdom from you, the wisdom that comes in Christ, the wisdom you've revealed in the scriptures. Help us to live wisely. Help us to help others to live wisely. Set us free from the bondage of, of debt and foolishness. Help us even in these troubled times when even governments are doing very foolish things. Lord, protect your people. Help us in our churches and our families. Uh, we, we pray that you would help us this afternoon as well to remain alert and to be uh, seeking from you what we need to know. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this afternoon we're going to start with uh, debt, which is a huge, huge issue. And then the, the last major topic we're going to cover is going to be preparing for the future, which includes saving. Uh, there is now a basket for your questions uh, during the break. I'm told there is a giveaway. It is not a lottery, however. Uh, but there's going to be some things given away at some point this afternoon. Only you must be present to win. Uh, but it's not going to be based upon any other financial factor. Um, I, the experiences I have had in counseling people with debt have just never ceased to amaze me. I've seen college students with $40,000 of credit card debt never really having had a job that paid a decent income. I've seen couples under mountains and mountains of debt uh, that just feel completely hopeless. And our, our culture, I, I was actually, there was an old Sears catalog from like 1918 where there was a quote from this catalog saying, buying on credit is foolish. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's the Sears policy anymore. They're running the Discover Card business, Kmart. Uh, they had it right. And there are many money myths, and these are rampant in our culture. Debt is a tool to create prosperity. Uh, you borrow money and make more money. And you know, the idea is I can borrow the money and pay 5%, and then I can invest it. And this is getting to the next section as well. How many investment advisors have encouraged people to borrow money against their house or an equity credit line or something like that? Say, I can make more money for you by investing your money, and you'll be so much better off. Debt brings risk. Debt brings poverty. Uh, what you can spend is determined by how much credit you have. That, that's how cars and mattresses and TV sets are advertised, right? You can have it if you've got the credit. Or you need to have some debt so you can have a decent credit rating. You've you got well, to have debt, got to have a lot of debt, then you'll prove you're credit worthy. Um, everyone has to borrow money to buy a car. Or another myth that kind of goes with it, it, was, it it's cheaper, you know, this car needs repairs all the time, better to buy a new one. Uh, one major repair is usually about two car payments. And you're probably not going to have more than one or two of those a year. And somebody who buys a $25,000 car because his $3,000, what he calls a clunker, needs uh, brakes and tires. If you do the math, it, it, it's not a wise way to act. Uh, wisest thing would be never to borrow money to buy a car. And the most expensive way to, own a, to have a car is usually leasing. Uh, and then as, as long as you make your minimum payment on your credit card, you are okay. 
And I actually took this off an actual credit card statement. Here's some poor sap who owes almost $7,000 on a credit card. His minimum payment is $139. So that didn't sound that bad. But then look below. If you make only the minimum payment, it's going to cost, it's going to take 28 years to get rid of your $7,000 of debt, by which time you will have paid 13000 about double. That's what credit cards do to you. Isn't that stunning? That's a real credit card statement. Um, so people should shop with credit cards so they don't have to carry cash. There have been surveys done showing how people who spend who use credit cards spend under the same circumstances in the mall much, much more than people who are having to spend cash or even write checks or even use a debit card. Uh, the magic plastic. Well, if you see a really great deal, then you use the credit card and pay it off later because you just have to have it. And that's the way people get under the mountains of debt. 90 days, same as cash, and 0% financing lets you use other people's money for free. That's what I would call, and Dave Ramsey calls, a debt trap. You'll see these deals at furniture stores where 90 days, same as cash, 0% interest till 2010 or, or 2030 or whatever they're saying. But almost all those contracts have built in that if you, don't, if you miss by one day, you're going to be charged high interest back to the original day you bought the item. And there hope, there's so many dead traps where they sucker you in and hope that you don't play the game right, and then they're going to cash in big on you. Uh, people pay a fortune in interest under those contracts. Uh, rent to own is a good way for people who can't afford new electronics to get what they need. No, rent to own is a good way to become poor and have nothing to show for it. Student debt can be easily paid back when you graduate and get a great job. <laughs> Some people know that's a myth because you're laughing. Uh, it depends on what you majored in. If you're you know, a neurosurgeon, like I said earlier, yeah, you'll probably be able to pay off your student debt. If you're a pastor, good luck. <laughs> if you're a missionary, it's impossible. So, uh, and certain majors don't pay either, do they? You know, not everybody makes a lot of money. So student debt can be really damaging. Friends and family show their love for each other by co-signing loans. No, families are divided when people co-sign loans. And relationships are destroyed. Same thing with borrowing money from family and friends. Sounds like a good idea. Well, see, the bank is only paying you 1%. I'm paying the bank 10%. So let's split the difference. And you'll make more money. And I'll pay less money. Dave Ramsey talks about how when you do that with friends and family, it destroys relationships. We're going to quote it later from Proverbs. It says, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And i got news for you. Nobody likes to be a slave. And what I've found with lending money in close relationships, especially in families, the person who gets mad isn't the one who's not being paid, but it's the one who feels like a slave. We hate being slaves. And the People who are not paying the money back, they become resentful and bitter and angry, and, and they avoid you. Don't do it, please. Again, this is what, I can't tell you from the Bible your church will discipline if you do it. I can tell you it's going to make you miserable. It's a wisdom principle. Um, cash advanced and payday loans are sometimes a necessary convenience. Uh, Dave Ramsey says those loans make poor people poorer charge an incredibly high amount of interest and fees, 
and take away what hope you had of balancing your budget. Debt consolidation services are a great way to get your finances back in order. Uh, usually debt consolidation only treats the symptom. 80% of the time, the debt grows back. You need, to do, you need to deal with the cause, not merely the symptoms. And I've already run by that humorous myth. Um, the Bible says that debt is folly. Romans 13 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And then Proverbs 22, 7, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Uh, the statistics on credit card use, you know, average balance over $9,000, average interest rate, 19%. The people who have this debt are putting as much as 17% of their income just paying the minimum payment. I showed you that uh, credit card statement earlier. You end up paying twice. Dave Ramsey calls credit card debt another stupid tax. Many credit card holders have no idea of what interest rate they're paying. And it is slavery. It is slavery because you're spending a third of your time, a quarter of your time working to pay interest rather than buying food and other necessities. And if you miss a payment, the interest rates multiply can be as high as 30% plus massive penalties. Paul tells the Corinthians, you were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Debt will make you the slave of men. Uh, debt presumes upon the future. Uh, debt is, in, in the Old Testament, it's funny, in the law, Deuteronomy 28, God is giving blessings and cursings to Israel as a nation. And he basically says, if you are wicked and don't follow my law, the other nations will lend to you, and you will not lend to them. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. He's saying national financial debt is a curse on a wicked nation. And then, yeah, people are shuddering in terms of what nation we're a part of. And then debt is presumptuous. People say, well, I assume my income will rise. I assume I'll get a, you know, an inheritance. I assume I'll get a bonus the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. If you can't pay it now, you're being presumptuous usually to think you'll be able to pay it later. Debt often occurs because we are not content with what God has given us. Whether than waiting for God to provide through legitimate means, whether than postponing gratification and savings, we go after what we want prematurely. Debt can keep you from fulfilling your responsibility to provide for your family because you're having to pay down the debt you're not able to take care of your wife and your kids. And debt lingers. It is hard to get rid of. Once you've got it, it, it infests your house like termites. And there's, you can't call Orkin to get rid of it so easily as all that. That with compound interest, it builds and it builds and it builds. And it lowers your standard of living because you're spending your money on nothing. Having said that, we are in a nation which is built on the quicksand of debt. We are drowning in debt. And uh, our nation is at least $3 trillion in debt to other nations. Uh, we have a trade balance of, it ranges between a half a trillion and a trillion dollars a year in the negative to other nations. Uh, of our, our national debt is $14 trillion approximately. It's gone, it's virtually doubled in the last couple of years. It's due to double again soon. It's tripled in 12 years. If you divide that among the people in this room, it's $45,000 to $50,000 a head 
for the national debt. How would, you, would you like to get a credit card statement every month saying how much you owe on the national debt? Uh, last month alone, the amount you owe went up $750 for your share, for the amount of money the government has spent. The Bible says that's stupid. Uh, again, I don't want to be real political, and I can actually say this because both political parties are stupid. It's not like there's one that's good and there's one that's bad. Uh, the people are wanting to cut or wanting to cut pennies off of thousands of dollars. Nobody's addressing it, in my opinion. But again, just imagine you're having to make payments on a, a new Mercedes or 150 iPads or something. Um, you're, if you have five in your family, then you're up to a quarter million dollars in debt for all of you. In 2010, the government spent $3.5 trillion, having taken in $2 trillion. How long could you do that? Uh, and that does not include unfunded obligations. If you count Social Security and Medicare and promises made to people for the future, the range of how much extra that would add to the debt is between 33 and $100 trillion, depending on how you calculate that. It dwarfs the debt that they actually acknowledge. And, and also you add into that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and all the guarantees they made on these loans that are no good, guarantees on banks that are... And then you go on the state level, and you've got states looking at bankruptcy, municipalities actually in bankruptcy, uh, trillions of dollars of unfunded obligations. The protests right now in Wisconsin over governments having made promises to retirees under government pensions that now they don't have the money to pay without massive taxation. Uh, and same thing with businesses. Uh, you can finance your business with capital or with debt. You can raise money and buy the building and buy the equipment, or you can go to the bank and borrow money to, buy, to rent the building. And which is more risky? Obviously being highly leveraged. Uh, why did GM fail? It's because they had massive amounts of debt they could not pay and debt on which they defaulted under the arrangements the government made. And when you're highly leveraged, it could be a restaurant as well. If you, if you put $10,000 of your own money into a restaurant and you borrow half a million, it doesn't take much of a downturn to put you underwater. And then individuals and families, over $12 trillion in consumer indebtedness, um, almost approximately half of American credit card holders with a balance only make the minimum payment on their consumer debt. And yet... The government really has a policy not only of getting more debt, but of encouraging us to spend more money and get more debt also to stimulate the economy. It's a bad design. And again, I say that because, in my opinion, again, I'm not running for office, and there's nobody running for office I would vote for right now, probably, in terms of who seems to be serious about addressing these problems. And I'm not smart enough to know how bad is it going to get, or when will the bubble pop, I'm not wise enough to know that, but I know from biblical principles, be it a family, be it a church, be it a business, or a nation, or a state, if you keep using debt stupidly, sinfully, sooner or later, it's going to come to roost. Sooner or later, you're going to pay the price. So, what do we do? Uh, some practical wisdom. One, I've already said, is what you can spend is determined by what you have. What's in the envelope? <laughs> What's in the bank account? That's the 1910 Sears catalog. Buying on credit is folly. Uh, and then pay your obligations promptly. Proverbs 3, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you today. 
Don't just pay. The, get, get Debt should be something you want to get rid of quickly. If, if you have a monthly balance, you pay it. And, you know, I don't think it's, again, I can't say from the Bible it's sinful to use credit cards. I use credit cards. I would say it's foolish to use credit cards to incur debt. If you pay off each month and you never have an interest fee, that, that, that can be okay. There's some danger to it. But I would also say this. If you can't do that, what should you do to your credit cards? Tear them, shred them, cancel them. Uh, Jesus said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. If you can't handle it, better to get rid of it. And I've seen people who have courageously destroyed their credit cards and just cut themselves off. And for some people, that's the necessary thing. You know, a person who's been a drunkard can't just have a couple of beers. And a person who's been drunk on credit can't just have one or two credit cards if they can't control themselves. Um, it's been estimated that people pay when they use credit cards approximately 20% more even on the front end than they would on a purchase with cash as well. And again, beware of all the hooks. They send you checks. So cash this check. Read the fine print. There's a fee to deposit, you know, to, it is, and it's going to charge you the cash advance fee and the interest. Uh, of the 1.5 million bankruptcy filings per year, 70% have to do with credit cards as a primary cause. And then never borrow on depreciating items which cannot be sold quickly for more than you owe on them. You understand that principle? That this is a principle of wisdom. Again, I can't run you up in front of your elders and accuse you of sin and get you kicked out of the church if you don't pay attention to me. I can tell you based on the wisdom of Proverbs, if you, if you pay attention to this, you're going to be a lot better off. And if you don't, you're going to pay a price. So never put yourself in a situation in which you owe more for an item than you could quickly sell it for. So car, my opinion, pay cash. But if you do have to buy, if you buy a car for $25,000, you finance 24000 of it, and as soon as you drive it off the lot, you cannot get more than 17000 for it, you're underwater. And you've got a debt you couldn't pay. And if you lost your job or for some reason you had to get rid of it quickly, and it could be a piano, a timeshare, whatever it is, if you owe more on something than it's worth, that was foolish in my opinion, and you're at grave risk of not being able to pay and of ruining your finances. Uh, if, if you can put enough down where it's not, where, where you could fire sale it and, and get what you need out of it, still better to pay cash, but at least you're not in that grave danger. Drive the old car till you've saved up enough money to buy a better car. Uh, people complain about a car being a money pit, but you know you have to spend a whole lot of money on a car to equal the payments you're going to be making on the new one. And then never ever, ever make yourself liable for somebody else's debt. The Bible uses the word surety. We use the word cosine. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, if given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself, importune your neighbor. Do not give sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Another verse in Proverbs, Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become sureties for debt. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? That's vivid, isn't it? Um, 
in the, in the Proverbs, there are two big ways to become poor. One is by being a sluggard. The other one is through debt. But the worst way is through somebody else's debt. And this can be complicated. There are some families, and sometimes in some particular cultures, where that's just what people do for each other. Is that I'm buying a house, I'm buying a car, I don't qualify, so you sign for me because you love me. By the way, if the bank doesn't want to lend them the money, what do you think the reality is? They don't have the income to support the loan. They ought not to have it. But you get this family pressure. And I think you can come back and say, I love you, but the Bible says I shouldn't do this. And, I mean, you can give the reason. There are other situations as well. Bail money, okay? You pledge your house because someone's in trouble with the law. That's making yourself a surety. They may take your house from you. Maybe there's a situation where you love somebody so much and you know they're innocent and you know they'll show up for court. But when you pledge your assets against someone else's debt, don't be shocked when it's taken away. We had a family one time we were counseling where before she was married, the wife had co-signed on her parents' house and put herself on the loan. And now that they're married, they want to get their own house but her credit is tied up with her parents' bad credit in the house that they were in. Uh, their irresponsibility can result in your financial ruin, and if they need you to co-sign, they're already shown to be financially irresponsible. Um, I, I was listening to some call-in financial program driving around, and somebody called in and said that, well, my son, or no, it was my nephew was in college, and he needed a co-signer for a student loan, and I co-signed, and, and now he's disabled, and they're coming after me. <laughs> it's like, what did you think you were signing? You know, your signature, you, oh, I'm nice. I said, signing is nothing. It's pledging your assets is what you did. And you're merely fulfilling the contract you signed. You promised if for any reason he couldn't pay, you'd pay. Don't sign it unless you're ready to do that. And it's interesting, back in uh, Proverbs uh, six he even talks about basically try deliver yourself, do what it takes. If, if there's any way legally begging, pleading, I was foolish. In <laughs> uh, Hebrews, kind of let them stomp on you or something. Um, do what it takes if you can get yourself out from underneath that burden. And then, as I said earlier, don't lend money or borrow money from friends and relatives. It all makes economic sense. You're going to save money. I'm going to save money. We all love each other. We all trust each other. It doesn't work. I could, I could fill the rest of the hour with horror stories. And everybody thinks it will be different. Uh, there are conflicting expectations on both sides. Again, if you choose to do this, I warned you, okay? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not going to do anything bad to you. Your church is going to do bad to you. But probably there's going to be a day you're going to be like the guy in Proverbs, I wish I would have listened <laughs> to wisdom. I mean, if somebody's in trouble and they need the money, give them the money, if it's legit. Okay, now we get into things that affect our lives a lot. Is it legitimate to borrow money to buy a home? This is an interesting verse in Proverbs. Prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. Afterwards, then build your house. What's he saying? He's saying, get your career in order, get your financial house in order before you go building a house. 3,000 years ago. Sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it to you? 
you know, we're newly married, we have college debt, we have credit card debt, and we want to buy a new house. Get your act together first, is what the Scripture says. There are many uh, money myths pertaining to housing, and a lot of this is in your notes. Uh, the people saying, you can't go wrong buying a house. Yeah, the laughter. There are probably 20 people here who would say, I went wrong buying a house, right? Your investment return in your home is maximized when you make the minimum down payment. You know, back when you bought the house for $200,000, you know, oh yeah, just put down $1,000, and then when it goes up, you've really multiplied your money. It also means you're one payment away from being upside down. Uh, Adjustable rate mortgages are the best deal because they offer the lowest interest rates. What's the problem with that? They readjust. readjust. And you made a budget that you can afford $2,300 a month in mortgage interest or a mortgage payment, and then interest rates go up to 12%, and your adjustable goes up to 8%, and now your payment's $4,000. You're stuck. You've signed a contract you can't keep. As long as you qualify for the mortgage, you can afford the home. No, they were giving mortgages to anybody for a while. It may become more true now. It's really important to buy a home because renting is like throwing your money away. So is mortgage interest. (laughs) In the early years of a mortgage, you're paying virtually nothing on the property itself, on the debt itself. You're just paying interest anyway. Interest is throwing your money away. So rent sometimes can be cheaper. Do whatever you can to stretch yourself financially to get into a home. Some of you took that advice and regretted it. Um, If your home is upside down, then you can just walk away. You know, if you owe $500,000 on a home that's worth $300,000, just walk away. It's the bank's problem. It's not the way that Christians should be thinking in terms of their obligations. And then wise investors, when they have equity, can take it out and invest it at a higher rate of return than their mortgage interest. We're going to talk about in the next section. We had people, again... Your house is worth 500, you owe 300, take out 150, buy an annuity that's going to pay 6% while you're paying 4% and you can come out ahead. Again, when you do the math, you're going to see you're incurring risk, you're incurring debt, you're taking away flexibility, and some people are losing their homes because they took that bad advice. And then it's foolish to pay off your house because you'll lose the mortgage rate deduction on your taxes. I can tell you that there are few financial blessings greater than having no mortgage. Um, the tax deduction is on money you're spending on interest. <laughs> so you had to spend the money to get just a portion of it back. Better not to spend the money. This is one area in which it may be appropriate under certain conditions to borrow. Most of us would never be able to buy a house if you had to come up with more than a quarter million dollars all at once. But Make sure you're in a position, back to that verse, where you're ready. You can meet your obligations. You don't want to put yourself in a position of high risk where you're on the edge and you may be like that guy instead of getting your bed taken out from underneath you, it's your house being taken out from underneath you. So it means applying it conservatively. Maximum down payment, 25% or more would be my advice. Make sure your monthly payment is affordable and can't go up beyond what you can pay. And there are guidelines, but you can make the budget too. And you can figure out what you can't afford to pay. I don't care what the loan broker says. He wants to sell you a loan, right? He makes thousands of dollars whether you pay the the loan or not, whether you get foreclosed on or not. You have to figure out what you can afford to pay and don't get into a loan that has the prospect of going up beyond what you can afford to pay. 
Home ownership is not a surefire investment. Those of us who own homes, homes are like having another child, right? They, they need lots of things. I was talking to a lady during one of the breaks, and she, she owns her home, but the roof needs to be repaired. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, you can't call the landlord if you own the house. You're it. And it can be very expensive. It's something you have to plan for. And housing markets can crash, believe it or not. Um, I, again, I don't claim to be a prophet or a son of a prophet, but four years ago or so, I actually taught a group on finances and, and gave strong warnings that this is likely to happen because of the affordability index of, of houses in our area. But it's happened before. In the early 90s, there was a, about a 30 to 40% crash in many houses in San Diego and Riverside County. So it's happened again. It's been more severe. Um, Historically, housing has gone up at approximately the rate of inflation, with some areas doing better and some areas worse. And if it goes up faster than that, there's actually this Case-Shiller Index you can read about on the Internet or in Wall Street Journal. And when the housing, you know, this index, like from the, civil, the American Revolution up until the Depression, you can see this thing kind of following the economy. And, the, and all of a sudden, in the late 90s, it goes, bing! And, and people's incomes are still on here, and the prices are way high. It always has to come back down to that level, and it has been. Uh, and, and, and in down markets, houses can be very hard to sell. There are people right now who would like to move, and they can't take another job or go somewhere for education because they can't get rid of the house. That's another advantage of renting. You're much more flexible. Um, and then there are transaction costs. About 10% would be a good estimate. If you buy, if you go through a buy and sell, you're, if it's $300,000, $30,000 is going to realtors, loan brokers, inspectors, termite people. That's making homeowning expensive as well. So another piece of advice, it's better to look at your home as a house rather than an investment. And certainly not as a piggy bank, which is what people in California were doing until the crash. The current housing crisis is due to foolishness and greed. Uh, and there's no point spending a lot of time on this because it's done. But when the government encouraged banks and lenders to make risky loans in order to increase home ownership, uh, people were buying houses they could not afford using very risky financing. And, you know, the real estate agents were selling to people who couldn't pay. The loan brokers were making loans to people who couldn't pay, even liar loans. And buyers were buying homes they knew they couldn't pay, apart from some miracle in the future. And, and actually, the way it kept going for a while is because all this demand, all of a sudden, everybody could buy a house, which means the houses that were on the market went up very quickly because people who had one, and it had gone up a couple of thousand, well, I'd like two or three, please. And people, were, people who were laborers were owning three and four homes thinking, oh, this is great, they'll all go up $300,000 and I'm going to be a millionaire. And it's skyrocketing. And, and people were borrowing against their equity to go into the next one and living on it and playing with it and paying credit cards with it. But finally the bubble burst, as it had to do. And, and now you've got the situation where, I mean, you drive through this neighborhood and there are empty houses, there are foreclosures, there are short sales. And uh, you don't know when it's going to hit the bottom. I, I ran into another article, I think it was also in the Wall Street Journal, 
And the article said, very few foreclosures and no bank failures in Canada. You think, well, Canada's like us. How could they avoid this problem? And the article said, while one-fourth of U.S. homes are upside down and numerous banks have failed, there are no such worries in Canada. Not a single Canadian bank has failed. Less than 1% of mortgages are in arrears. And a CEO of a bank says, we are in the business of making loans to people who will pay them back. There's no Fannie Mae, no government program guaranteeing loans. And borrowers can't walk away from their debt without the bank having recourse. You get a 25-year mortgage, you have to put at least 20% down to get a loan. Um, again, the government guaranteed these bad loans. Remember, what's the stupidest thing you can do financially? It's being co-signers, being surety. The government made itself, which means us, co-signer for all those bad loans. And, and when all the junk goes into the system, everybody pays. Now, having said that, that could be a, this could be a good time to buy a house. Maybe you should think, I want to buy a house. Prices have come down. Interest rates are low, historically low. It's a buyer's market. Lots of foreclosures and distressed sellers. Uh, it could be if inflation comes. You'll be glad to have a hard asset, and you've got a house, bricks and mortar, or I guess in California, whatever, stucco and something. You know, if inflation comes, you have a hard asset. That's good. But it could be a very bad time to buy a home. The junk is not all out of the system. There could be double dips. Uh, there's an overwhelming number of homes yet to be foreclosed upon, and that's going to mess up the market for a long time. And if you buy a house now, I mean, I remember the guy behind me was so excited because a house that had been $550,000, he bought for $300,000. However, now it's probably worth two twenty-five. Uh, there's, there's not going to be a newspaper headline, bottom hit, <laughs> buy now. Um, and so the house you buy now may be very hard to sell for a long time. And so if you want to buy a home, what should you do? Make sure your financial house is in order, your income is stable, it's within your budget to afford the payment. You've got a large down payment, 25%, 20%, I would say. A loan, ideally fixed interest rate, Ideally, 15 years, but if you have to go 30, fine. And not, I mean, if it's variable, it can't go up beyond what you can pay. Make sure you can do it long term. If you're relying upon your wife's income and she wants to have kids and be at home, you're foolish to rely upon that income when you get the loan, aren't you? Be prepared for things to go badly. You know, they might go badly. Isn't that true? They sure have. Also, be prepared for the extra expenses of owning a home. You say, oh, well, we're paying $1,000 a month in rent. Our house payment's going to be 1500 no problem. Well, how long is the roof going to last? How long is the water heater going to last? How long is the heater, the air conditioner? Toilets are going to break. Pipes break. You've got to pay homeowner association, insurance. Things wear out. I've lived in the same house now for 23 years. It's not the same house. I've had everything in there is different. Every door, every floor covering, every appliance, I've had to replace. If you plan to be in a home, I would plan to be there for several years. Renting, in my opinion, just advice. If it's less than seven years, rent. If you're going to stay seven years, you'll probably be okay if you buy. And, of course, the long-term goal is to own your house free and clear. How many people do you think own their houses free? I don't want to show of hands, but... Uh, people will be wanting to borrow money or get you to co-sign. But uh, <laughs> um, 
what do you think the number would be, the percentage of people in America own their houses free and clear? It's 2%. 2%. Um, make that a goal. It can be done with wisdom. And say, so what about borrowing against your home equity for emergencies? Better to save money for emergencies than to use debt for emergencies. Um, sometimes it's unavoidable. And then what about borrowing against your equity for investments? May it never be, would be my answer. That if you've paid off your home and somebody says, well, look, you can borrow $200,000 at 4% interest and then invest it in this, that, or the other thing, it's risky. Whatever he tells you, it's risky. That's the, the final section today. Why does he want you to put the money in that? Because he makes a commission. Your money is at risk. Your home can be taken away from you. If you own your house free and clear, you've won. Don't gamble with your house. As Dave Ramsey said, 100% of foreclosed homes had a mortgage. <laughs> Get rid of the mortgage, unlikely you'll be foreclosed on. Unless the tax man gets you, which is another problem. You have a, the, the government will always have a mortgage on your home. What about borrowing from an for an education? Uh, college expenses at, at many private schools run fifty-five dollars to $65,000 a year. Um, even in the government schools, especially with the loss of taxpayer funding, it's going to be in the 30s and 40s for some. Uh, it's an area where you need to be careful. It is certainly true that training in the right field can produce significant income. And it, it could be that you look upon that deg degree as a valuable item, that, okay, right now I'm worth $12 an hour, and if I become a nuclear physicist, I hear they need one in Japan right now, um, <laughs> You know, I can make $120,000 a year, and I'm worth whatever $60 an hour. And so, to borrow $50 or $60,000, which on the much higher income I can pay off in a few years, may be make sense rather than continuing to try to struggle by with the lower income. So, an education with the right degree can significantly increase earning power, which makes the student loans worthwhile. Even then, there are options like ROTC, military academies, scholarships, less expensive community colleges for your general ed before you go to the engineering school that costs $50,000, $60,000 a year. And there are some degrees that don't result in increased earning power. The best earning year of my life was when I was in my 20s, when I was using my college degree in finance and computer and was working with the oil company. I went to seminary and decreased my earning power significantly. Uh, the Lord is taking good care of me. I'm not complaining at all. But it would have been foolish for me to borrow money to do that. I used my fat, I slaughtered a couple of my fat cows from my 20s and paid cash for seminary. I didn't borrow. But there are some degrees that maybe you love English or history or whatever it is you're studying, but it may be you're going to be a checker at Macy's when you get done. No shame to working at Macy's if you're working there. But likewise with seminary. There's some people who are, who are barred from the mission field because mission agencies won't take them so long as they have a mountain of debt. Quite frankly, in terms of pastoral ministry, if you've got tens of thousands of dollars of student debt, a church is going to have to pay you thousands of dollars more per year just to hire you. And oftentimes that money's not there. So student debt can be a terrible burden. Uh, the average student debt, at least $25,000, many several times that. 
Uh, at Westminster, I was told the average is about 35000 for their seminary debt, the local seminary, and most of them came in with over $20,000 of college debt. If you owe $56,000, how long is it going to take you on a pastor's salary to get rid of that debt? Pretty t- Maybe depressing some of you. We can talk afterwards with specifics. Um, what about debt in business? Same thing. I can't tell you you're sinning to borrow money, but I think it's much wiser with business to minimize leverage and maximize equity. Maximize what you're paying. You know, to, to put $10,000 down to start your business, a restaurant or a shop or whatever else, and borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars, you are one or two bad months away from business failure. But to, to raise capital or to save money where you're, you're investing your own money in the business, it's reducing risk. GM, Blockbuster, these companies that keep going bankrupt, they're going bankrupt because they used debt to try to finance their business. And when hard times came, when hard times come, it's true of individuals, businesses, and governments, when hard times come, those with debt are in big trouble. The more equity you have, just like in a house, if you owned 50% equity in your house, if the market goes down 30%, you still have equity. Likewise, in, in business, if you have a lot of equity in the business and, and interest rates go up and, and t- or times get harder, you can ride it out. If you're highly leveraged with lots of debt, your risk dramatically increases. Um, are we ever, this is the question that came before the uh, break, are we ever allowed to walk away from our debts? And, and I will confess that A few years ago, even, if you'd have asked me if I would be advising people to short-sale houses and to declare bankruptcy, I just would have hardly believed I could ever ask somebody or encourage somebody to do that. Um, But we have seen situations, as I said earlier, for me, kind of the bottom line is if you're having to borrow money to make your payments, you're stuck. Uh, And... But we as believers have a higher standard. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. The righteous is generous and give. We do not want to be among those. When you borrow money, you're giving your word as an individual, as a Christian. It's the reputation of Christ that goes along with that. If you borrow and don't pay back, you're a swindler. That's on the list in 1 Corinthians of disciplinable actions, not just adultery and drunkenness. And if you can pay, you should pay, even if it's not in your interest to do so. And I greatly admire friends I have, and, and you know, they owe 500000 on a house that's only worth 300000 but they have a good job, and, and they're sorry they bought that house. <laughs> they wish they could be out from underneath it, but they signed a contract, they're keeping their word, and that's the right thing to do. Psalm 14, the righteous man swears to his own hurt and does not change. Isn't that a great verse? He made a promise, he wished he'd never made the promise, but he keeps the promise. And, and these articles I'm reading of people with what's called strategic default. And again, article front page of the Wall Street Journal about some guy who stopped paying on his mortgages, even though he could afford to pay them. And he says, oh, now I sleep better and our family can take nicer vacations and we're no longer under pressure. That's ungodly in my view. And it's, I think it's destructive to the moral fiber of a nation if people get the idea that I can incur all this debt and then if for some reason I don't feel like paying, I just walk away and there is no consequence. I think the pendulum has swung dangerously in a bad direction. Uh, but there may be situations, uh, there may be situations of uh, pleading 
Back to, remember Proverbs said, if, you're in, if you've made yourself surety or a cosigner, go beg, go plead. I've, I've counseled people to, to go and say, look, I owe this much. You're charging me 16% interest. I can't pay it. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm living on a frugal budget. I'll show you my financial statements. Either you drop the interest down below 3%, or you, and I'll pay on the balance as I can, you know, an agreed payment plan, or I can't pay you anymore. But you, you, same thing with housing and, and the opportunity some people have to restructure loans. It's not just, I don't feel like paying it. It's like, I can't do it. And it may be you've been overcome by circumstances. You've lost your job. It may be because you were foolish years ago and you took on debt and you could not pay. And you just have to confess your foolishness. But you may have to go and say, this is where I am. The payment is 3000 I can pay 2000 And I'll, my, your options are, I give you the keys and you can sell the house. Or you find a way to make it within the means. I realize it's my fault, but this is the best thing I can do to protect your interest in this house because I can't pay it. Uh, again, if you've got $100,000 socked away in savings you're trying to protect, I think it's immoral not to use it to pay your debt. But many of, I'm finding many believers, again, some overwhelmed by circumstances and some now realizing they were foolish before, and they're in that situation. Uh, and so I have been in situations saying bankruptcy, short sale, you seem to have no other options. You work the numbers, you try for the, you know, it, it just can't happen. You're, you're there, and then you try to do it honorably. Don't go deeper into the hole by borrowing money to pay your debts. If you're running up your credit cards, you can keep paying your hospital bill and your mortgage. It's all going to come crashing down. And if you see that trajectory, deal with it now. Don't procrastinate. You're, you're, you're in deep trouble. Get help, get counsel. And, and don't just keep running up your debt to postpone the inevitable. The crash is going to be harder the longer you take. You with me there? If month after month you're running a $1,000 deficit or $500 deficit and you've really done your budget and you've tried to minimize spending and maximize income and you're just running it up further and further, it's time to take action now, which may involve doing things you wish you didn't have to do. Having said that, our obligations go beyond merely what the civil law says. And uh, if you have debt forgiven, it may be something in the future as God prospers you, you'd want to pay back. I think especially when it comes to personal relationships, family, better you didn't borrow from family. But boy, when you can't pay, it's awkward. And those are obligations that some court may dismiss, but I think you still have. And there's some things where the government has readjusted that in the housing. But, yeah, it, it's complicated, and sometimes you need financial and legal advice more than I can give right now. The government, because of all the people with the short sales and the foreclosures, actually, my understanding of the tax law has taken that part out this year. Um, the biggest debtor in the world is our government. They're not the paragon of wisdom. So how can you get out of debt? Repent. You need to deal with the sin that got you into debt. Greed. Idolatry, thinking things would make you happy. Presumption that income would go up. Covetousness, desiring things that God did not yet want you to have. All the things we've talked about today, the principles you violated, that you need to be honest before God and perhaps the people whom you've 
borrowed money from and deal with the hard issues that got you into this mess. Now, it may be you're really a victim. And sometimes it's a mixture of victimhood and folly. And you may need help sorting out, where am I a victim and where was I foolish? And thank God that Christ died for debtors as well, didn't he? But that doesn't mean we take our sin lightly. Uh, In your notes, in the extra handouts, I have Dave Ramsey's Debt Snowball. This is one method of getting rid of your debt that he recommends. I think it has a lot to favor. You make a list of your debts. You stop borrowing money. You live by a budget. And, and Dave says the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. You guys have been listening to Dave Ramsey. One bite at a time. And, uh, and I see the wisdom of that in, in the sense that you have a sense of accomplishment when you get rid of one. Even one is gone. Now there's four payments, not six payments. And in working your way down with those. To get the snowball rolling, be prepared to take radical steps to get out of debt. Lowering expenses. Uh, you don't need the iPhone. You don't need the cable TV. You're slashing what, what your life doesn't depend upon. Uh, when the phone contract ends, you buy a... $30 phone that you put minutes in for emergencies and you don't chat on the phone anymore, whatever it is. You seek to increase income. A person in debt is in trouble. And so that means I, have, I can't have leisure time. I've got a second job, work overtime, whatever it takes. Sell stuff. Uh, you may have to get out with one car. You, you may have to sell your car that has a lot of money in it and buy a cheaper car and use some of that money to pay off the people whom you owe. Look around your house. What can you sell? Not the wedding ring, but, you know, lots of stuff. Some of the stuff you bought that you couldn't afford, it's sad because, oh, but I paid $1,000 for that. Now I'm going to get 200 Yeah, that was really foolish. But you still got 1300 on your credit card because of the 1000 you spent. Sell it. And that's advice. I can't command you. I can command you do what it takes to pay the debt. Uh, you may be able to negotiate with creditors for more favorable terms. Uh, I've talked about that. Seek godly counsel. Godly counsel is not necessarily debt consolidators. Um, I'm not saying it's all bad, but a lot of the people who do the debt consolidation, again, they make money by doing that job. And they have an interest in you doing it their way so that they can benefit from that. I think even if you're in that process, you want to find someone who doesn't have any money to make off of your situation to sit down with you and work through your options and evaluate your options. Someone who has nothing to gain. And, and, and also, I will go through budgets with people and you know, I'll, I'm, I can't make them do it. I can't say, you must show me your budget. Unless you want the church to give you money, then I will say, you must show me your budget. And then go down that thing and say, these are things I think you can change. These are things you need to do. Or you know, to get pretty concrete about actions that need to be taken. Um, there are benefits of being debt-free. Uh, one way the Lord has blessed me so much and is, again, having had good years in my 20s, which was during the 1980s, having saved money, having bought a house. I've not had financial problems, even though I've not had a huge income. The church takes care of me. But to be free from worry, to be able to live within the budget, able to give more, able to help people more, serve more, and again, it's much easier to make a budget when you don't have debt payments of any kind. It's much easier to live on less. And it's a, it's a great goal to have 
and it will give you greater opportunity to serve God and will take away a lot of the, 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 the problems and the worries you have. Uh, tough counseling problems. Should I borrow money in order to pay off debts? I would say, don't do that. What should I do if my spouse keeps running up debt? That can be a real problem. Uh, I've, I've seen where one spouse or the other, they'll, they'll tear up the credit cards and then they'll go out and get secret credit cards. It gets it mailed to their work address or they get the mail first and they start spending the money and running it up again. This is sin. Again, it's like a drunkard or an adulterer. It is sin. It's, it's lying and it's stealing. And if this person claims to be a Christian, they need to be held accountable. Uh, it, 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 you know, there can be complexities in terms of not being a Christian. There can be legal matters that have to be settled. And, but it, it, it's serious. It's destructive, so destructive to relationships. Um, and if the person is a believer, they need to humble themselves, seek accountability. Um, and even, you can even freeze your credit by mutual agreement. When should I bail my grown kids out of debt? No! <laughs> uh, please don't do that. Uh, I think a problem, and this is thing when Elise and I wrote the book, You Never Stop Being a Parent. You ha- we have a generation now where, you know, my generation, where my parents were touched by the Depression. They struggled a little bit. They were successful. They finally gave us nice things. We've had an easier, up until the last few years, it had been easier and there's been kind of an attitude is, I don't want my kids to go without. I, I want my, you know, and first, and also it's not that much trouble. You know, it doesn't, it's no big deal to me to pay this thing, $400, $1,000 here, there. And I just want everybody to get along. You're destroying your kids with that. They're not going to learn the biblical responsibilities, the Bible says, of, of hard work and saving and postponing gratification and avoiding debt if you keep bailing them out. Uh, there can be situations, we talk, we have a chapter in the book about your house becoming kind of a halfway house. And it can be a halfway house for drugs and alcohol, but it also can be a halfway house for debt. Where, okay, if you want to live here, you're going to sign the check over to us, and we're going to use it to pay your debts, and a little bit for rent, and, oh, you're treating me like a child. Well, if you don't need us, go find a better deal. But if you want to be adult and live in my house, you have to work hard, have a goal, and be responsible and, and many parents like Eli whine at their kids for being irresponsible, but they don't do anything, and they're contributing to the destruction of their kids. Uh, we have a case study I'll go over briefly. Some of these are so extensive, I can't even cover them in exhaustive detail. And in these case studies, first of all, if you think I'm talking about you, I really don't mean to do that. Uh, the case studies are describing situations that are very common. Um, but, and, and actually they're kind of compilations of real cases with facts kind of mixed in and names kind of mixed in. So, anyway, there's also in your notes of the supplements, there's a family financial statement, Ted and Jen, and that goes along with case study number two. And Ted is married to Jen, she's a stay-at-home mom with three kids, and they got trouble. They bought a home at the peak of the housing boom for half a million dollars. It's now worth 300000 They got an introductory interest rate that's about to be reset that's going to increase their mortgage payment from 2000 to $3,500 a month. And, and Ted has friends who are telling him, walk away. Walk away. Uh, it's not worth it. 
During the recession, Ted has not lost his job, but his hours and wage have been cut so that his take-home income has dropped by $1,000 a month. As Ted has seen this uh, shortfall, he's, he's done some more foolish things. Uh, they had a nest egg, which had been an inheritance, and without his wife knowing, he's been spending that thing down to pay bills. And it's gone. He's afraid to let her know because she had planned on that for their kids' education. Then he started using credit cards, and they're maxed out. And there were some days he had no work at all. He, he, he saw something on the Internet of a surefire blackjack system and that you can't lose. If you go in with $1,000, you walk out with $10,000 a day. There's no way you can lose. And, and he went to the local Indian casinos, and he found out you can lose. And he was using credit cards for that money as well. And he's a guy that's living, he knows that disaster is coming upon him, but it finally hits as he's, uh, his wife gets a call from a creditor saying that their credit card is overcharged. She just trusts him with the money. She doesn't look at the bank statement, the credit card statement. She just figures he's got it all taken care of. She's busy with the three kids. And the, the bill collector's call. She looks online at the credit card and sees charges to the casino. And then she looks at the mail and sees they're two months behind in their mortgage and the credit card company is starting to charge big penalties. Ted had been planning to talk to her parents to see if they might lend them $10,000 to get by. So they come in. What do you need to do? Um, well, Ted needs to sort out where he has sinned and where he's a victim. Um, nobody could have predicted, although I did, that the housing was going to drop so much. It's not his fault that the wages have been reduced that much in the recession. On the other hand, he did many foolish things. He overextended himself by purchasing a home that could not be afforded on his income and then leveraged himself very highly with risky loans. He presumed upon the future that things would get better, both with the house and with his pay. Uh, he and his wife were greedy by desiring a home they really couldn't afford, trying to keep up with their friends and classmates rather than being content to live within the means God had given them. And he was extremely foolish to try to circumvent God's means of gaining money through hard work times skill by trying to use some scheme at a casino and then further getting to more debt, more slavery through credit cards, um, failing to live by a budget, which made it worse. Now he's in this horrible situation of being unable to pay, putting family relationships at risk by trying to approach her parents to borrow more money. But what's the biggest sin of all? Ephesians 4 says, Do not lie to each other because we are members of one another. The most destructive thing he's done is hiding the truth from her and deceiving her, which nothing is more destructive to a marriage than lying. A lot of things can be forgiven when they're confessed, but deceit destroys trust and destroys relationship. And so he needs to take responsibility for his sin and confess it to God and then approach his wife and confess it to her. He does that. Then you need to help his wife. Uh, she needs to deal with her own sin in terms of greed and not being careful with money and anger. When she found out about this, she said some pretty nasty things, including the word divorce. Uh, but then she, she also 
in addition to seeking forgiveness for not being the kind of helper she should be, she also needs to forgive him. Whatever, and, and the counselor takes her through the parable, the unmerciful servant, the one, the servant who owed, remember, the 10,000 talent debt to the master, and the other servant owed 100 denarii. And which are you, Jen? That you know, your debt, Christ has forgiven your 10,000 talent debt, billions of dollars, 100 denarii is a lot, tens of thousands of dollars perhaps. But as one who's been forgiven, the one who forgave you says to be gracious as a fellow sinner. And she's working that through, although it's really hard that her inheritance is gone. So they pray together. They cast their cares on the Lord. They're thankful they have what they do. And then there's a plan to get out of the mess. Um, Before they seek help from family or church, they need to take responsibility, deal with the sin issues. So we have them go through these financial statements, assets, liabilities, income. Uh, That's what you have in the... uh, Look there, it's kind of a grim picture when they're, you know, their, their debts already owe money to her parents, 25000 in credit cards, car loan. They have over half a million dollars in debt, $300,000 in potential assets. Uh, what do they do? So you put them on the budget, you work a new budget to reduce uh, outgo looking for him to get a part-time job, Jen maybe to teach piano lessons or something to try to supplement the income without having to leave the home, slashing expenses, selling the second car, uh, not eating out as much, negotiating with the credit card company and the bank, trying to make the payments possible, cutting way back on the cable, uh, selling the second car in order to help pay the debt, and then hope to get to a point of saving. And so homework really is just what we've talked about, accomplishing those things, and then with a goal of strictly following the budget, keeping records, and making a plan to be out of debt, saving for emergencies, a lot of things we've talked about. Outcome, uh, forgiveness was sought and granted. A budget has been created using mint.com. And he is uh, keeping track of money spent. She's shopping coupons. There's also local food programs where you can like, pay $5 and get $25 worth of food. And she's taking advantage of that, teaching piano. He's uh, doing extra work outside the home, doing some umpiring and refereeing. Um, and, uh, but they were not able to keep the house. That uh, short sale forced into... And But they're still paying on the credit cards, and they're hoping within two years to be debt-free. So that's, again, no one particular case, blending a bunch of cases, but fairly typical. And it may be your situation, or it may be you uh, trying to help someone else. And I'm sure there are more questions, so there's the basket.